0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes.
2: All right, yeah, Anna.
0: This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by Managers.
3: Dumpty Dumpty Dum, dumpty Dum. Dumpty
4: This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on in Ambridge. I'm Jacqueline Berto, who is way beyond attracting a bull these days.
5: And I'm Stephen Bowden, who knows all his 45 employees by name.
4: And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who all entered the Flower and produce show and won nothing. So, welcome to Dumpty Tum, a show about our favourite country village with all its goings-on. The good, the bad and the vince, because I'm not convinced. This week we have seven caller
5: We hear from Jen, Ambridge Pony Club, twice. And she has views on the lesbian mentor, the stiff or pissed or whatever we want to call it, and on abattoirs.
4: Vicky, who thinks Freddie isn't entitled
5: to work. Witherspoon, who tells us a true story.
4: Catherine, who is muddled by Fallon and Harrison's woolly thinking and asks where does their financial planning come from.
5: Claire, who wants to talk about Emma. Brian, who is ranting, that's his word for it, about Bridge Farm. And Bernadette, who is exhausted by all the talk about jobs and work on The Archers this week.
4: Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Suey, a roundup of Dumpty Dum Facebook group by uh, The Nice Rob, and three Twitter gongs, Bronze, Silver, and Gold from Purple Pumpkin. But before Stephen and I start chatting too much, let's remind ourselves of what's happened this week with a roundup of The Week in Ambridge from our Suey. <laughs>
6: Hello, lovely people. It's Siri, Queen of Tart here. Time for a quick reminder of the week so far. Freddie is back from Portugal with his tail between his legs, having failed to make his name in the world of DJing, unsurprisingly. He brought back some random bits of leather for Vince and Elizabeth, claiming they were from an artisan, but they were made in China. He has some regrets, apparently. Ruth and David had to deal with Hector the Bull, and Ruth spent her time at the flower and produce show most of the time in the rest of the week, avoiding Stella, as she thinks she's too timing Pip, she's not right for Pip, it's all gone wrong, I lost the will to live over this honestly, until they all finally went to the bull on Friday and had one of those pulling teeth conversations over four packets of crisps and then Stella ambushed Ruth in the ladies. Perhaps they can all act like grown-ups from now on. Fallon was back at the tea room with all guns blazing to upcycle it based on customer feedback until she was scuppered by Natasha, who was going to take over the tea rooms, hire her back as a manager, and turn it into a Scandi destination cafe. There was hand-wringing aplenty from both Emma and Fallon, dragging in George and Harrison. George supported his mum to apply for the manager's job. Do we think that might have been to scupper Fallon, who clearly spurned him in the past? Emma was very upset to find that Fallon has decided to take the job, and she is going to continue to be a tea lady and washer her up. Rah, rah, rah. Natasha seemed unimpressed that Fallon is also capable of creating a spreadsheet and working out a percentage-based profit sharing. Freddie got rejected for all the jobs he applied for over the next three days. Deciding that his job search was fruitless, he agreed to take on Vince's management trainee job and spent a day at the abattoir learning the ropes of how to kill and process multiple animals. Deep joy. Who knew there were blood pits? Get your names in for the sweepstake of how many days he's going to last. Anyway, it was definitely an odd week again. Until next week then, my lovelies, and I hope it's a good one.
4: Brilliant. Thank you, Sue, for your roundup. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, and I agree with you. So, Stephen, what have you been up to
5: this week? It's been a sort of week of two halves, the first half, which was sort of Monday to Thursday. Very busy at work, back-to-back meetings, hardly had a chance to stop and think. That's quite good in some ways. It's better to be busy than not. And then Friday, I was at home with two people coming to visit. In the morning, I had some plumbers come round because I've got a problem with the drains, and particularly the drain that runs under my bedroom and is causing all kinds of nasty smells and things. And they still can't find out what's wrong, but they've got a plan to try and fix it anyway. So that was a bit grim, but at least I don't have to pay for it. And then in the afternoon, somebody came around to talk me through the latest version of the plan to completely redo my kitchen. And the reason they came round, I think, is because they had to break it to me that the price has gone up quite a bit from before once they'd done the detailed work. And while that's much more fun than drains problems in the bedroom, I do have to pay for that one. So it was a a mixed day, sort of good news about a bad thing and bad news about a good thing.
4: (laughs) Yeah, that's so exciting, having a new kitchen.
5: It is. It won't be an Albion kitchen like Jenny's, but I'm hoping that it will be a good one nonetheless. No, definitely not an aga. It's going to be a induction hob and modern oven, all terribly energy efficient and so forth. Anyway, how about you? How was your week?
4: Well, I've had the scourge of country living, something that the Archers touches on occasionally, but thefts, theft in the countryside. It's one of those things that happens. We t- try to ignore it when we're living in the idyll of the countryside, but we've had a ton of break-ins, People stealing diesel from our factory. We have about 50 vehicles and people seem to be arriving and breaking down the fence and they go in. and So my Thursday afternoon was with five gendarmes who are very lovely, very beautifully uniformed and very, very correct. But we had to try and set up infrared cameras. I think they're called wildlife cameras in the UK. We call them cameras de chasse in French, in daylight, to try and catch images of the people who enter. And they enter like one or two nights over every six or seven days. So it's all been set up with my iPad because I'm the insomniac in the family. And so it's been a bit weird. It's been a bit... Strange, it's been a bit
5: exciting, <laughs> but we're hoping to catch the little devils in the act. So. they're hunting cameras, camera du chasse, that means hunting camera, doesn't it? So you are yeah, hunting a... them rather than doing well, wildlife cameras, yeah. I think, they—they they yeah.
4: yeah. So there you go, that's what that's made my week. John Dams plus a dog with a, a manky eye, he's lost one, he's about to lose the other. So I don't know how I'm going to cope with a blind dog, but let's Ooh. talk about that later. That's enough about us. Let's get on to the important bit, which is you lot, our lovely caller in Rose.
5: Hello, Ambridge3962. First up, we have Ambridge Pony Club, Jen, who has views on the whole Pip and Stella relationship.
7: Greetings, everyone, in Dumby Dumbland. Jen here, just calling in to see if Stephen and Jacqueline can enlighten us, but. What on earth is Stella doing with Pip? And this must be about the third time now that Pip has flaked and gone back into... Oh my God, the thing that really upset me is like with Rosie seeing them kiss and Pip's reaction to that. I really can't believe that Stella just didn't walk away at that point. I mean, it was outrageous. Pip is a single mother and she has a responsibility to only bring people into Rosie's life when she is serious about them. Be very male female, trans, or whatever. If she's not serious about Stella, then she should only be having dates with Stella when she can get a babysitter and when Rosie is unaware of her because it's not fair to drag people in and out of kids' life with regardless. Lee regardless. Um, she has chosen to bring Rosie into this. She has chosen to bring Rosie out on a date. So if Stella kisses Pip, what the heck is the problem? Rosie's probably seen this all on CBBC. I mean, anyone that's seen modern-day children's television I don't think any of them have nuclear mommy-daddy relationships anymore. Very, very rare. Even in the village, it's very rare to have two parents with kids. The parents are married. They're not brothers, cousins, or anything weird. You know, there's almost no families like that in Ambridge. I think, unfortunately, Chris and Alice are probably the closest to that that there was. So, yeah, and, and children's books and everything else, like two mommies, two daddies, no big deal. Except Pip, who for some reason is internally apparently homophobic and yet gay.
4: Well, thank you for that call, Jen. I don't know. I don't know why Pip and Stella are together. don't know why Stella is accepting the flakiness of Pip. I'm very interested in what you said about CBeebies because I haven't watched uh, CBeebies for a million years. Maybe the children are more accepting. Maybe. I don't know. But but Pip, I don't like her anyway, so
5: let's, I don't want to talk about her. I'm not as anti-Pip as you are. I was never particularly pro-Pip, but she's actually grown on me in the course of this week. Now, that call from Jen was quite early in the week, yeah, and it was before we had the developments later on, and in particular, the conversation between Stella and Ruth in the ledger's bathroom, the bull, and that was where Stella made it clear that she was quite fond of yeah. Pip, and it, So I think that that is a serious relationship. I absolutely agree with Jen that it has been really infuriating, the off and on turns and turns and turns in the relationship up to now. But I think having reached the end of the week, we're now looking at a much more stable, long-term arrangement. And I think we know secretly that this is all about Stella marrying into a farm and becoming a farmer and having a perhaps a lesbian couple owning a farm with a daughter of their own. Well, daughter of Pip's at least. So... I think that however bad it has been to get here, and certainly Stella has put up with an awful lot from Pip, precisely the sort of stuff that she started off by saying she absolutely did not want. But I think we've now reached the place and the issue is no longer with Stella and Pip, it's with Ruth and Pip and Ruth and Stella. And Ruth was an absolute cow in the bull and has been this week, and I do not understand it. I guess it's because she hasn't got many friends and she feels she's losing a friend because Stella is morphing from one of her best friends to her daughter's partner. And I think that must be difficult. And as she said, she would have tried to talk to Stella about, get Stella's advice on Pip and her relationship. Not because Stella is gay and Pip is gay, but simply because she's a friend. Now yeah. she's got her other friend, Usha, and that's about all she's got.
4: I think we've got a bit of an, another call a bit later on that uh, discusses this. So we'll park Ruth for now and go on to the next call, I think, and
8: see what other people have to say later on.
5: OK, and next up is Vicky Cole.
8: Morning, everybody. It's Vicky Cole here, calling in Wednesday morning. So I've had the first three episodes of the week, a couple of observations and a plot prediction. It seems to me it wasn't a very smart idea to take a bull, which it turned out they couldn't control properly, to a flower and produce event and really not tactful to position him next to where they were cooking burgers. Secondly, Freddy has come back from his Ibiza adventures, not at all chastened, still seems to me to be an entitled little twerp. Although he says, oh, I will consider any job, any job, I wonder if that's actually the truth. I wonder if he should end up at one of the tea rooms, either the reincarnated... A full of ambience and wallpaper bridge farm tea room, or whatever it is that Fallon will be doing at the charging station, because he does have some relevant experience for that. It's most possibly even a transferable skill or two. But the main thing I wanted to say was I wonder if Ruth is unhappy because she's struggling with the fact that Pip is gay. I mean, I really, really, really hope that's not the case, but we haven't had any homophobia in Ambridge for a while. It had to happen before with Sid. Can't think of any others. And I wonder if it's something that could, should be explored. It would be quite interesting. It would be horrible listening, but it would be quite interesting. And Ruth would have to take herself on a journey and with quite a lot of introspection. So we'll see how we go. Probably by the end of the week, this will all be overturned anyway. Hope everyone's well. Bye.
5: Thank you, Vicky, for that call. And yes, to some extent, it was overturned by the end of the week and we got a, a clearer view and we certainly had Ruth denying firmly that it was anything to do with homophobia. And I think I believe that. Going back to the historical instances, of course, Sid was the most obvious case of homophobia. But the other point at which it became a bit of an issue was around Adam and Ian's wedding. Yeah. Where the fathers of both of them were very uncomfortable about the whole thing. I think they both felt that it just was wrong, that they'd been brought up to believe that it was wrong, and they were really struggling to get their heads around it. In the end, they both recognised that the most important thing was that they loved their children, even if in Adam's case it's a a stepchild. They loved them and that it was important that they were happy, and so they both put aside stuck-in-the-mud principles or whatever it was that was keeping them out of engaging, and they both ended up attending the, the wedding and the reception afterwards. We didn't hear much more from Ian's father after that, but Brian does seem to have accepted all of that. So I think we've been lucky with the exception of Sid. Homophobia has not persisted in Ambridge. I just wanted to go back though to, to Freddie because I absolutely agree with Vicky that Freddie isn't entitled to twerp.
4: I, I'm glad you said that, Stephen, because I was about to jump in and say, what about her point about Freddie being an entitled twerp?
5: He isn't entitled to twerp. The other thing that was interesting about her point was about the number of tea rooms that there are In Ah. Ambridge. Yeah. Because yes, we've got the we've got the Bridge Farm Tea Room, and that has been in competition with one other place recently, which is the Orangery. But the Orangery is more of a a place for having your lunch. It's a sort of National Trust restaurant type place, I I suspect, that it would do tea. And I, I suspect it's slightly more upmarket than the Bridge Farm Tea Room. But we're about to get a country house hotel reopening in Ambridge. Yeah. And it would surprise me if that didn't have afternoon tea in posh surroundings as part of its attraction. And the sort of people that I think that Natasha is after might well be the sort of people who are staying at Grey Gables and why would they traipse all the way over to a muddy farm with a shabby farm shop with all kinds of junk outside the door just to have an upmarket expensive organic afternoon tea in a Scandi, wood whatever establishment. And of course there's also the charging station cafe which is going to come along and that's the one that's the real danger because that's right on the edge of the village, much closer to the village green Than Bridge Farm And it will be cheaper It'll be the only place that, that sort of does Your average Everyday type Coffee and cakes And so forth And if Fallon is running that She'll wipe the floor With Bridge Farm
4: Well I hope I, mean, I think we're all hoping That Fallon will go For the uh, station co- Coffee thing But also Natasha talk about Wanting to do weddings Well that's again In complete competition With Lower Loxley And Greg Gables. So
5: And, and Brookfield
4: and Brookfield, of course, as well. Yeah, so three... Comp- I don't think she's thought this out. I can't wait to see how it will fail.
5: Indeed. And on that note, we'll go back to Jen, who called in again.
7: Greetings, everyone. Dumpty and Jen here, just calling in to comment on Freddie's new job. I'm quite pleased we're getting another agricultural storyline, and they're actually getting their hands dirty, so to speak, and getting in there. Um, I think they did a good job of explaining about the abattoir and how it works and showing that, you know, these, despite the sort of words that we have in the English language, like abattoir, slaughterhouse, these are actually very clean, calm environments. And they have to be for very practical reasons. If an animal gets stressed out coming off the lorry between there and when they're rendered unconscious, it'll ruin the carcass. The stress hormones actually can make the meat completely unusable. So it's very much at the forefront of everyone's minds to treat the animal with with respect, with kindness, to do everything they can to make the process as swift and easy as possible for the cow. Once the animal has been dispatched, obviously, conditions are extremely clean for food safety reasons. And then, like I say, it's like working in a theatre or working in a surgery and you get to see all the anatomy and the physiology and the pathology and you learn fascinating things like cattle gallstones are actually worth more per ounce in Chinese medicine than diamonds. So there's some really nice little tips to be had if you find a few of those. And the guys are generally fantastic because of what they do. They do seem to respect the animals and I agree with Freddie. Anybody that eats meat, if you don't like the idea of that, don't eat meat. I am a vegetarian. I don't eat it myself for personal reasons, but I see nothing wrong with it. And in some ways, the life of a beef cow, uh, having a nice normal life in the field, and then the next day you're gone, not so bad. So yeah, congratulations to them for bringing this up. Wow. Thank you for that call, Jen. That
4: was brilliant. My only memory and connection with an abattoir was in the olden days when we walked out of our guide or brownies and then guides meeting out of the scout hut down the road and there was an abattoir. It was actually a shed in the back of the butcher's shop and there was a little uh, hole where we could look through with one eye, see see what was going on in there. I think life has moved on. I think you're right. The welfare of the animals, I know a lot of people don't like it, but the welfare of the animals has been addressed. Freddie, he's been quite amazing about the whole thing. I think it's a good good part of the story.
5: I know from some posts we've had on the Facebook group that we have vegans among dumpty dummers who are not finding this an easy story to deal with. But I think that it is important, as Jen says, to focus on the reality. I think we have to recognise that the majority of us who do eat meat, even if we don't eat huge amounts of it, I'm not a vegetarian, but that doesn't mean that I insist on eating meat at every meal, not by any chalk. When we do eat meat, we need to understand where it's come from. It doesn't just magically come from a supermarket. There is a process behind that. And the more we can learn about that, the good, the bad and the ugly, the better. And I think, it's interesting that Freddie isn't just seeing the abattoir, I think he's seeing Vince at the same time. Ah, uh, the, yeah. The, a man who can run, the, the way that Vince runs his abattoir is a reflection on the sort of person he is. And clearly he cares about his staff, even if knowing the names of 45 of them isn't that impressive. The fact that he's bothered to do that is a, it's better than, than not knowing the names. That It's clean, it's modern, it's obviously been invested in, he has expert staff and so forth. He's doing a proper job. So that's a lot about Vince that we're learning, which balances out his uncouthness and perhaps some of the prejudices that we take from his black country accent. And then, as I said, we're we're learning about the reality is of the way that meat gets from cows and sheep in the fields to pies, sausages, meat on our table. Not not pork, because Vince doesn't do pigs.
4: No, apparently not.
5: Our next call starts like this. Hey, baby, I hear the
2: blues are calling, toss
5: salads and scrambled eggs.
1: Mercy. <coughs> Greetings. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. Very late Thursday afternoon, caller entering from the beautiful south shore of Connecticut at sunset. The following is a true story. In a case of life-imitating art, or life-imitating life in Ambridge, Yesterday, I dropped Angus off at the dog groomer in the town where I work, Summit, New Jersey. I noticed a sign for a new establishment called Across the Pond Bakery and Tea Room. An English tea room right here in Summit? I went to investigate. I discovered it's only been open for a week. Two women in their mid-30s were working. One who was in the kitchen was identified as the owner, and the other took my order. No, their names were not Fallon and Emma. I, of course, engaged them in a bit of conversation. They had not heard of our podcast, but the father of the woman who took my order is a major Archer's fan, so I encouraged her to pass on the word to her dad. There were many tasty pastries to choose from, including lemon drizzle cake and scones. We did have a bit of a discussion about the pronunciation of the latter pastry. They seem to be having a lovely time, but I'm worried about them. The shop is not in an ideal location in town, which is already filled with many a coffee establishment. Will their relationship survive? Which brings us all way back around to Fallon and Emma. Without the benefit of Friday's episode, we can tell that their friendship will end with a mighty crash as both vie for the manager job. You just know that Natasha is going to offer it to Emma. Maybe Fallon will again pursue her dreams of furniture and catering. And I wish the two lovely English ladies of Summit all the best. I am going to bring local dumpty-dumbers such as Debbie Grossman Lansing around to offer our support. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Witherspoon, for that call.
5: For two things, I think on the, the Fallon and Emma thing, I know that we've had the discussions on Friday and Natasha has in fact offered Fallon the manager job and Emma is upset because she didn't get it. I don't think that story is over by a long chalk. So I think that you will be proved right about that developing Emma being offered the job, Fallon going off and possibly, as we've said before, setting up an, in the EV centre. But let's get back to Summit, New Jersey A place situated on the western fringes of the New York City metropolitan area. with Newark Airport to the east and the Great Swamp to the west. A very uh, salubrious place, by the sound of it, to set up an English tea room. I think that it's a great idea that they do it. It makes a change from coffee. I do hope they make tea properly there. I'm sure that they do. This oh, is one I thing so, i that Americans That's do not understand, which is how to make a proper cup of tea. So, if these two women can bring civilization in the form of properly made tea to the benighted citizens of Summit and New Providence and Chin and Elizabeth and all these other places, then that will be really good. And I do hope they succeed. What do you think, Jacqueline?
4: I'm actually worried about Witherspoon now because, you know, a few years ago he worried us all by having a heart attack. He actually had his heart attack within a week of my Mr. B having a heart attack as well. So I followed the story very closely. Now, Witherspoon, please don't support these people so closely that you put your health at risk. Lemon drizzle cake every day is not a good look for a person who's had a cardiac incident. So please carry on. Support them as you wish. But no, 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 no cake.
5: And on the great scones dilemma... The answer for, <laughs> for Witherspoon is you don't put the cream on first or second. You don't put the cream on at all.
4: Absolutely. Well, I know Stephen and I come from a completely. We both. I say scone. He says scon. I say jam first. He says cream first. So we're never going to agree about the scone, scone scone cream. Go do debate. So Witherspoon, yet yeah, no no cream for you. I think that's our first full call. There are more brilliant ones coming up shortly, so you have to hold on for those. Now, if you'd like to contribute to all this ridiculousness that is going on, and I have to say, this is our second time of recording, and we're allowed to admit that, Stephen. You're going to have to cut it out because we had a little blip earlier on. You would be so very welcome to contribute. There are three ways you can get involved.
5: The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpump.com slash dumptydum and don't forget that's a T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or a message via WhatsApp on 07810 012 or if you're calling from outside the United Kingdom plus 44 7810 Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. And finally you can email us. We have a fairly new email address that you can use if you would rather write to us with your views than commit them to your voice. A maximum of about 250 words, please. And the email address is dumptydum at mail.com. And please do bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to take part and to contribute.
4: Don't worry about trying to write all that down now as we've provided the links to those three ways of contributing in the show
0: notes. Let's get back to our calls. Next up is
5: Catherine.
9: Hi there, it's Catherine, middle of the night, Thursday night. Can't get over Fallon and Harrison's bizarre planning about their lives. Firstly, he seems to go part-time at the drop of a hat, no sort of phasing in at all, with no planning. Oh, she said, oh, I'll be fine, I'll get a new lease on the business. And then she does. Now he's going back to full-time. And she says she has to rent tablecloths and things. Surely she owns this stuff from her business already. Why does she need to buy new crockery and tablecloths if she's got her own business? I thought it was just the actual premises that the others owned, and Natasha and Tom will own. That's the rest of the stuff the sort of chattels will be hers. It's bizarre. And that scene with her and her mum, Jolene, with the most bizarre accent, hasn't she? annoys me every time. It's so unlike anyone else's Borussia accent, going on, dropping their G's everywhere. It was very bizarre, so I think she should take the job. I don't think Natasha and Tom will give a toss whether she tells them to bog off, because I think they do want her to bog off so they can redo it all. Yeah, so can someone help me with where their financial planning comes from? And the idea that I only just realised that she couldn't afford to do it after sitting down and doing a business plan. Very bizarre. Have a good week, everybody.
4: Brilliant call, Catherine, as always. You're asking the wrong person for asking me about their financial planning. For me, it's a kind of what can we do? How can we do it? And when can we do it? There's a thing in Ambridge, things happen quickly. When you think of something, you think of a window and it's done. Does that happen in real life? I don't think so. What do you think, Stephen?
5: I think... To be fair on Fallon, to be fair on on the programme, she hadn't been thinking now very much about what she would do without the tea room. The the way things are at the moment, Fallon owns everything except for the premises. So she has the ovens, she has the, the furniture, she has the cutlery and crockery and all of the cooking equipment and all of that. And all of that is geared towards the ambience of the Bridge Farm tea room. And we know that that ambiance involved her acquiring loads of different mismatched cups and plates and knives and forks and so on. And when you're running a little place like that, that works really well. It's, it's the fact that everybody has got a different plate, everybody's got different knives and forks, is just what you'd expect. It gives it a certain amount of character. When you are doing a catering business, that's quite different because you'd be expected to turn up possibly with your own tables. But certainly, everybody expects white tablecloths over everything. And then you might put stuff on top of the white tablecloth. But the starting point is white tablecloths, which I'm sure they don't use in the Bridge Farm tea room. Then on top of that, it's expected that all the glasses will match, all the knives and forks and so forth will match. Because you're basically, everybody will want to be treated equally. And if you have a whole set of different glasses, then some people are going to mutter about the fact that other people's glasses are bigger and they're getting more of the champagne or whatever. (laughs) So I I think that Fallon probably hadn't realized until she sat down and thought it through how big a difference it was. It wasn't just doing what she's been doing, but without a premises and going to use other people's premises and other people's cooking equipment and so forth, or other people's ovens anyway. She's realized that actually it's a different look and feel, and therefore she needs to work on that. And going back to the key question about the financial stuff nobody does that in ambridge i think it would be boring radio anyway but it's certainly the case Bridge farm are classic ones deciding big investment decisions on the back of one meeting where they sit down they don't consult financial advisors they don't consult lawyers they don't consult planners or anything like that they just decide to do something and it goes ahead and it never runs over budget or and as you say the timescales are often completely mad like that window yeah. So that's that's just the way it is. So I yeah. I can understand where Catherine's coming from. If she wants us to explain how it works, the simple answer is nobody knows.
4: Yeah, but we have people that can. We have uh, Richard, who's very much a uh, globe trotting Richard, who often tries to call in, tried to call in this week, and we've had to cut his call because the sound quality was so bad. But hopefully he'll tell us what he thinks about Bridge Farm next week.
5: Yes. He's very good at pointing out how bad these things are in you know, air. <laughs> Let's hear from Claire from Clapham.
10: Hi, Dumpty dum It's Claire from Clapham here. I keep forgetting to ring in in time, and uh, so I'm pleased with myself for remembering this week. And I just wanted to talk about Emma, really, because I had thought to myself weeks ago, oh, gosh, fun will go off to the charging station and then Emma will take over the tea room and it will cause a rift between them. And then the way that George proposed to Emma why she should apply for the manager's job, like much as I detest George, it just aligned so well with what I thought was going to happen. I felt very uncomfortable. But I feel for Emma so much now that Fallon's decided to take the job because I really should feel like this is spurring her on to do something better and different with her life, and I hope that like these sort of slight knockbacks and frustrations are going to really spur her on to do big things, rather than just get just sort of disheartened about stuff. I mean, George has grown up. I don't know how old Kira is now. What about eleven? She's got getting to a slightly more independent age. I'd really like to see the Renee thoughts of Emma. Do you know what I mean? And have something where she really kind sort of thrives in a much more fulfilling kind of job she has sacrificed well sacrificed she has made some very foolish decisions in her youth that has resulted in where she is today but i think she has more potential than she's li- in sort of lived up to so far so i go off hot and cold on emma sometimes she, I dry, she's driving up the wall other times i have a lot of sympathy for her and i'd like to see her in a three years time doing really really well go emma grundy so future mp for borseshire speak
5: to you soon bye thank you for that call claire and this is a subject that I know that you have felt a lot about before, and it's come up a lot in the Academic arches as well, which is about the absence of sort of social mobility within Ambridge. Yeah. The programme has been going for 70 years, and in that entire time, we have not had a single case of somebody born of humble origins within Ambridge rising up to do great things. We've had successful self-made people, I think almost always self-made men, uh, the, the likes of Jack Woolley, yeah. Vince, and um, Matt Crawford. But they've always come in from the outside. Nobody has broken through the class barrier within the village. And it looks like we, this still hasn't happened. But if anybody can, I think Emma might be able to. She has, she's got herself onto the parish council. She's educating herself. I'm reminded of the character whose name I cannot remember from John Mortimer's Summer Lease, I think it was, which was, there's a very good TV adaptation with the Eldar cello concierge as a theme music. And that was all about a lowly born chap in a village who eventually becomes incredibly right-wing and rises up and is politically powerful and actually becomes quite unpleasant from a a liberal lefty like me. But... so I think that Emma has all the possibilities of, of taking that sort of ruthless role of rising up and becoming a Nadine Dorries-type figure, perhaps.
4: Uh, uh, sorry. Oh, I felt a little bit ill then. I'm sorry. I'm with you. Uh, sorry, we've always been told by Royfield, weren't we, that we shouldn't talk politics because it puts about half the people off.
5: Sarah, let's move on. Uh, Thank you for that call, Claire, anyway. And next up, we have Brian, who, as we have said, is going to rant. Hello, it's Brian. This is a bit of a rant. Sorry about that.
3: We all, you didn't have to be with sick Meg to work out that, to predicted that uh, Natasha and Bish Farm were going to stitch it up. I said it, other, everyone said it, it's going to happen. All an in inspection you've done in such a casually cruel way, like walking into the shop while it was open and saying, oh, by the way, I don't want tea, but I'm going to take your business off you. Very unbusinesslike. like They make a of being their business people. And we sound for business reasons, acting in an un like way. And then tonight, because this is Friday's episode, and they said when Natasha pulled out the contract, expected to fall and just accept it without any negotiation. And gets sounds a bit offended when Fallon or, um, had her own ideas about what uh, pay and everything else were going to be. And they think, oh, we thought the bonuses would be decided on a more casual basis. That's a red flag, isn't it? That's a big red flag. But thinking about it, of course, that contract was meant for Emma. It was only because Fallon changed her mind and did take the managership offer up, is the reason that contract was in a, in Natasha's bag. Oh, they're vile people. I hate which I must leave it there. I'll speak to you. Bye for now. Bye.
4: Oh, Brian. Thank you for that. When I start ranting, and I don't do it very often, but when I do, I want to sound like Brian, which is actually very, very calm. Actually, do you know, Stephen, Brian carried on ranting by email after that call. He added a little addendum to his rant, which says, A bit sneaky to add this, but something I forgot to include on my speak pipe. I did feel for Emma, as she's clearly thought the job was in the bag for her. She gets no luck. The grundy curse is clearly upon her. I'm surprised that Fallon didn't pick up on what was happening, but I think she was maybe a little preoccupied, having just sold her soul to the devil and all. Incidentally, the way Natasha smoothly changed her plans when Fallon said she wanted the job and just dropped Emma was just cruel and speaks to Natasha's
5: real character.
4: Bye for now, Brian. Absolutely, Brian. Natasha... What a devil.
5: Natasha has been absolutely awful over this whole business. She's steamrolled Tom into silence. I think she's largely steamrolled Pat and Tony and Helen as well. She is acting as if she has a former role in Bridge Farm. She doesn't. She has her own business, and we know that she has been keeping that very separate from Bridge Farm, because we know that Pat would have conniption fits if she thought it was going to get complicated, shorter than divorcing. They are keeping Mm -hmm. their business affairs separate. And she has Summer Orchard. And I'm not even sure that Summer Orchard is a fully organic Uh, business.
4: good, Good question, Stephen. I don't think it is either.
5: But she is acting as if she's a full partner in Bridge Farm, as if she's the equal of Tom and Helen. And she's coming in and just treating Fallon like she's made an offer on the ovens and so forth, which I suspect is going to be little more than scrap value. And if I were Fallon and I weren't taking the job, I think that I would probably get somebody to come along and, and take the, the cooking stuff away as scrap, simply to stick it to Natasha for being so awful. I don't trust her. I think she's going to look at Fallon's detailed, thought-through proposals about profit-related bonuses and think that's too much like rewarding Fallon for hard work. And she's going to end up disagreeing. There'll be a a huge row between Natasha and Fallon. Fallon will eventually give up and then, of course, Natasha will turn on her tippy-cloppy heels and offer the, the job to Emma for for less money and yeah. on worse terms and just railroad Emma instead, unless of course she takes on the you know, Dean Doris role that I just mentioned.
4: Don't don't, don't go there, don't go there. Next hey, call.
5: Okay. Now for our last call, and that is from Bernard Head. This week the
11: archers seem to be all about jobs and roles within work. On Sunday, Freddie admitted that he liked the DJing on the night, but didn't want to do the social media, what he scathing referred to as self-promotion, which I'd call advertising. The SWs seemed to properly understand the 21st century role of a music curator. Came back to England, then he turned down the job at the Avatar, as it wasn't upmarket enough for him. Lizard was very relieved. Fallon and Emma seemed to misunderstand how you use survey form. Shoving it into a customer's hands and then standing over them as they fill it in was weird. But then this is ambridge. Emma got a little confidence boost by being accepted as a student on the English course. Tom and Natasha breezed in for an impromptu meeting at the tea room. Don't they have diaries? They're also lacking in business etiquette. They turned nasty when Fallon began to talk about contracts and they dissed the upcycling business, although I do think the shabby chic era is well and truly over. Fallon seems stuck on the premises as opposed to what she brings to it, her catering and cooking skills. Nakasha and and Tom can't survive without them. George appears to have settled down for the time being, but he won't enjoy packing veg boxes for long. I have to admit I was thrown by his seemingly sensible and normal conversation with Emma about applying for the manager's job until he threw in a barb about how it wouldn't hurt Natasha and Tom if she didn't apply. On a second hearing, I did have some sympathy for Freddy and his rejection from some quite basic jobs. Would he only come into the Lower loxy business after Lizard pops her clogs? That's what Nigel, his dad, did to be fair to Freddy, he surprisingly survived his first day at the abattoir but one has to ask if it was the biscuits that won him over custard creams and hobnobs and we the listeners had the benefit of an informative lecture on the workings of the aforementioned establishment poor emma she thought she was getting the manager's job on the plate i'm leaving the pun in yet again a grundy gets shafted i'll say no more at the moment depending on, depending on your point of view Davis' effort to get to know stella ended up sounding like an interview or an interrogation. The week ended with Ruth feeling aggrieved for losing the best friend role to Stella now that Stella has become Pip's girlfriend. I'm thoroughly exhausted by all this job talk. I'm going for a lie down.
5: Bye. Thank you for that call, Bernadette. Yes, there has been a lot of talk about role, work and so forth. I think the discussion of Freddie's career was an interesting one because, yes, he he went off on this hopeless. We were all, I think, quite worried that he would be a success and that it would be totally unrealistic. portrayal of what was going on. But of course it wasn't. He was the absolute failure that you might have expected him to be. Of course, Bernadette knows all about being a DJ because she has a a regular slot on Mixcloud, which I think also goes out over her local Thanet community radio station. So she knows about being a DJ, she knows the importance of self-promotion which is something that Freddie just didn't seem willing to do. But how are you going to get a reputation if you don't promote yourself? You can't just turn up and expect the rest of the world to recognise you and tell each other how brilliant you are. So I I think that She's absolutely right. I think Freddie doesn't understand the line of business he's going Definitely. into. But I do think that Freddie was surprisingly good in his response to the abattoir. When I say good, I mean constructive, positive. I think a lot of us thought that he would take one look at what was going on there and run screaming. But no, he's actually become—he's been very positive about the experience, which is a bit out of character. But from a, a plot point of view, is I think it, it's quite necessary, and it takes us into that whole abattoir storyline that we were talking about.
4: Yeah, I think the fact that he was so positive about it is him accepting that he has to change, he has to do something. He's very much anti the the people who rule over them at, not his mum, but the, what's it called? The trustees. The, the trustees, oh, sorry. I My problem here is, Stephen, I apologise, is a Franglais problem can't always think of the word in English. So anyway, so that's fine. But he's back. He's being positive. How long he stays at the abattoir is another question completely. But while we're talking food, are you a Yorkshire pudding with every roast dinner? Are you just uh, stuck for roast dinners with Yorkshire puddings and beef?
5: So I think... For a Sunday roast, I think Yorkshire pudding belongs with beef because you're supposed to make Yorkshire pudding using beef dripping. In fact, you you have the roast cooking in the oven. You put a tray underneath, catch the fat as it drips off. And then when it gets nearly time to serve it, you have this pan full of really hot, freshly dripped dripping. You pour in your batter and you create your Yorkshire pudding right at the last moment. And you can't really do that with anything else. I don't think that you can do it with a lot of stuff rendered off pork while it's cooking. You could, I suppose, make Yorkshire puddings out of lard, but why would you? Uh, And certainly you can't make them out of chicken fat or goose fat or anything like that. That would just be a bit too posh for Yorkshire. So um, no, I think we should have them with beef and you should have other things with lamb, not mint sauce, and pork and chicken.
4: Yeah, we could go down a long line. Well, of course, I'm a, a northerner from the, the Yorkshire branch in Lincolnshire. And we used to have, come home from chapel, The Yorkshires were eaten almost as soon as they were cooked, coming home from the chapel. And then about an hour and a half later, we'd have this minuscule portion of beef or whatever. So it was definitely to cut your appetite, so you didn't want to eat so much meat. But we don't do roast dinners here, so I'm completely uninterested, really, because I can't cook them here, and I don't. And nobody's interested.
5: My father was a child in Halifax during Ooh. the Second World War, and he talked about the fact that they often used to have Yorkshire pudding with raspberry vinegar. So no roast meat at all.
4: No, at I, tea I, time. At, at tea time, time it yeah. was a, a
5: tea time treat. Was Yorkshire pudding with raspberry vinegar. Now, that would be using the beef dripping that had been accumulated during the course of
3: however long
5: they collected up. My mother, on the other hand, used to have dripping toast, which is literally, you, you toast some bread and then you spread dripping over it instead of butter. And because you've, it's a mixture of the, of, of the dripping itself and, and the the jelly that, that, that form when you, when you collect the dripping, you'll also collect the meat juices, which will turn into jelly. And, and you spread that on toast and that becomes a luxury. Maybe with a bit of marmite to give it that sort of saltiness. It
4: is an absolute luxury. Uh, but with a spoon, don't listen to us. We'll all be joining you in the cardiac ward. I th- yeah. Uh, recently, I've had the opportunity to spend some time in my hometown and dripping toast was still going on in my cousin's house. That's one of those
5: things. Of course, these days, the other thing with Yorkshire pudding is that it's becoming a dish on its own. You can go to pubs and have a, a huge, giant Yorkshire pudding filled with your roast meat and so forth. And the latest development is street food. Yorkshire pudding street food. Basically, it's a Yorkshire pudding wrap and they take a bit of Yorkshire pudding as if it were a a flatbread and they put various things in it and wrap it up and then serve it out to you like a wrap, like a souvlaki or something like that. The trouble is sticking all that stuff in the Yorkshire pudding and wrapping it up makes the Yorkshire pudding go soggy. And the key thing about a good Yorkshire pudding is it's got to have that crisp, crunchy bit. It may be a bit soggy at the bottom, but it's got to be crisp and crunchy around the edges. And once you do it in a wrap, it just becomes a, a soggy, horrible mess.
4: What have we come to where we talk talking about soggy bottoms on Dumpty Dum? Those are the calls. Thank you so much for calling in. We love them. And please call in next week. Did we receive any emails or WhatsApps this week, Stephen?
5: Yes, we received a WhatsApp message and it was from Purple Pumpkin and it goes like this. Hi, Stephen, Jacqueline and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a WhatsApp inning about the Parable of the Talents and Ambridge. I'm afraid I didn't have much education in the New Testament, so I've never really understood the parable of the talents. But I know that the conclusion is, to everyone who has, more will be given, but he who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That seemed to be emphasised this week when the Ambridge job fairy in the person of Vince came up with an next day manager traineeship for Freddie, while Emma Grundy once again discovered that, as a Grundy, she mustn't get ideas about her station and think she can get a promotion. Some people have long complained the poorer folk of Ambridge never get a break and on Twitter there are fantasies of future fortunes for the likes of Brad and Chelsea. I won't go that far but it does seem a bit of a heavy-handed way to remind us just how far stately home air Freddie's privilege extends and just how downtrodden the caravan-dwelling Emma is. That's my main thought for this week apart from my plans for this Stella fan club which is growing every episode right now. Keep up the good work your loyal no, purple Pumpkin Thank you for that Purple Pumpkin I know a bit about The Power of the Talents Do you, do you know the, the I,
4: do, I do know Methodist girl here
5: Ah oh, yes So Book of Matthew Rich man goes away And leaves his estate In the hands of three servants he gives one of them Five talents One of them Two talents And one of them One talent And then when he comes back He finds out how they, What they have done With the resources He gave to them And the first two Both invested And doubled their money And the last one with Just the one talent Buried it um to make it keep it safe and the master was not very impressed. I think it's open to interpretation.
4: Absolutely. Like everything from the New Testament, the Old Testament, and otherwise. And um, things we haven't talked about this week is jock. Nobody called in mentioning Josh, so I think we just need to have a little addendum to talk about him. How did you find his week,
5: Josh? I think he was given some really good lines this week, and the writer this week was Sarah MacDonald Hughes, so I think she gets a lot of credit. I think you remembered some of um, Josh's better lines. It
4: wasn't just Josh. that I love Josh this week, but uh, also writing lines for Ruth when she said, is there anyone in Amberdew who hasn't seen you kissing in response to Pip? And that made me laugh out loud. And then also Josh, when he was organising the straw, straw what? Straw, straw, straw crows. Yeah, straw crows. When he was organising the straw crows, then he said he'd organised them and then don't tell mum and dad, oh my gosh, gosh, oh my goodness, that is so, A happening that's going to happen Misunderstanding all around So typically archers
5: Yes, I think there's going to be Some huge mix-up at the harvest supper With the straw crows coming in on one side And Jim's piano teacher coming in on the other But maybe they'll hit it off Maybe they'll have some music in common I think the, the straw crows Given that they're founded by Two brothers called Paddy and Tag are probably of the Irish persuasion. They might be like the Pogues, who I think had a keyboard player. So there's probably scope for...
4: But did they have a violin player who
5: was hot? The Pogues... I can't remember whether they had violin with it, but Irish music, that sort of music, certainly does have plenty of room for violins <laughs> and hot violinists for that matter. When when we think about our little
4: Dumpty Dum uh, Facebook group, which we'll talk about later on, this week's non-archers Saturday's non-archers post was Mister Witherspoon asking us what we would do if we had the all the money in the world to bring in a high into your high school. A musical event, and so it's quite interesting how many people are very
5: diverse. And you said that you get in touch with Phil Collins and see if he could bring Genesis together for the event. And I I would say, surely you would want to get in touch with Peter Gabriel to see if he could bring Genesis together.
4: Several other people said that, but for me, Genesis is Phil Collins because that was when I first saw Genesis without. I first saw Genesis with Phil Collins and without Peter Gabriel. So it's a stage thing in front of my head. Yes. (laughs) Still good, though. So we have to move on to that little Facebook group.
5: (laughs) we need to give a very warm welcome to... Karen Stapleton, Douglas Roberts, Grant Commons, Helen Russell, Suzanne Howe, Jacqueline Gunnell, Elaine Butt,
4: Harriet Kinkinola, Claire Bishop and Roy Phil Brown. He's back.
5: So, what has our Facebook group been talking about this week? Let's find out as we sit back for the roundup
12: with our Rob. Hello there everyone, it's the other much nicer Rob with the social media roundup. Freddy came back and was bearing gifts. They started off being handmade by local Spanish artisans, but ended up coming from Fatball's lockup. He was also desperate for any kind of job. Sarah Forrester summed it up as follows. Have the script writers lost the plot? Freddy has done time for drug dealing. Why would he even be considered as a lollipop man working with vulnerable children? Silly storyline, typical of a spoilt young Aristo who thinks the world owes him a living. Rant over, but his future was saved by Vince, or as Sarah Sils- Spillsbury put it. On the face of it, I'm pleased to hear that Vince has re offered Freddie his previous generous sounding job proposal, which I thought sounded quite good at the time, despite having a largely plant based diet, personally. Vince made it clear that there would be quite a spell on the factory floor this time, though. Who bet it will last for, if not ever, then a period of time that feels that way. That said, I do agree that the best way to learn about an industry stroke trade is to go from the bottom up. But, as Jonah Titchvars pointed out, Yeah, I'm sure Vince has an industry-leading management training programme. Another big part of our week's entertainment was the storming of the tea room and the near-defenestration of Fallon. This was undertaken by, as Witherspoon has named Natasha and Tom, NATO. When he asked, Legal eagles, will NATO have to change the name of the cafe? Can't Fallon take any sort of legal action against them? Obviously there are two jobs at stake, and Emma could see a manager's name badge in her future. Harry Clark asked, Was Emma being a good friend or eyeing up the manager's job for herself? And when George gave her a pep talk and told her that she could land the manager's job, Lillian McCarthy said, Well, as much as it pains me to say it, I think George is right on this occasion. When Fallon started looking into alternatives to working at the tea room, a lot of us agreed with Chris Gibson when he said, So the first thing out of Harrison's mouth should have been, Guess I'm going back to work full time. But Pete Ransom wrote what the majority of us have been shouting for weeks. Can someone remind me why Fallon isn't just going to put a bid into the new charging station space? Have I missed a key component somewhere? Isn't that the obvious solution? And the other big storyline was the ongoing emotional triangle involving Pip, Stella and Ruth. Kate Lyle's take on it was, I realise people think Ruth is being unreasonable and maybe she is a bit over the top but I am prepared to bet she'd be getting a bit more sympathy if her daughter was jumping into a relationship with a man who is 15 years older than her and who had actively been pursuing another woman three weeks ago. Just because it's a gay relationship doesn't mean the usual cautions do not apply. And that is it for this week. I look forward to another week of fun and frolics on the to Dum Facebook pages and hope to be in touch with all of you there. Be warned though, when the chat starts, you can be there for hours.
4: Thank you for that, the much nicer Rob. It was brilliant. And thanks to everyone on the, on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. Stephen, I've just remembered something. A few weeks ago, I think we answered Dom's question. and Did he ever
5: reply? No, we haven't had a call back from Dom since we deduced where he was working. So it would be really good, Dom, if you're listening, do call back and and let Jacqueline know whether she got it right. I agreed with her that, that it was Castle Bromwich and it would be great to know if that was true. But it would also be great just to hear back from you again with your views on The Archers.
4: Absolutely. Good colour in her. We love hearing from people from all around the UK and otherwise worldwide. Now, Let's go on to Twitter, where you'll find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using capital T and A. Visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy an Archers-based tweet. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Jbertosangua,
5: and I can be found at Wenlock House. So let's find out who has won the Twitter medals this week.
12: Hello, it's Fry here, and now on Dumpty Dum, it's time for Tweet of the Week.
2: Hello Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of Tweets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen and everyone else who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week on Twitter, there's once again a feeling that Twitter might be in its death throes if that nice Mr. Musk does start charging users for the platform. We might migrate to Mastodon, Threads, Blue Skies or somewhere else. But for now, you can still find us on the platform rebranded as X, as well as on Instagram and Facebook, of course. But for now, we'll keep on tweeting and over to my middles for tweets of the week. In bronze position, it's Robert Wilson at Naked Fingers, whose voice on Dumpty Dum I still remember fondly. Here's what he says Things I'm looking forward to Rob dying, Peggy dying and, um, most other people dying. Too morbid. I don't think so, Rob. We're all with you, at least on Rob dying. The silver medal goes to Ambridge Pony Club at Gen J. Stephen. At the gym, RTE1 is playing Lark Rise to Candleford. What in the name of all that's holy is going on? Who owns the rights? And the gold medal goes to Angela Dobb, at LMS Bossy, for a tweet that came with an image of the most famous Swedish pop group of all time. But, I thought there were four of them. That's a special to welcome you back, Jacqueline. Well, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on Twitter next week. Thank you
4: so much for that, Purple Pumpkin. Lovely to hear from that Robert's still in the tweeting zone with the Archers tweets. And thank you very much for that little Frenchie thing. And don't forget, we are on Instagram at Dumpty Dum.
5: And we will both be back again next week with another episode of the Dumpty Dum podcast that you're listening to. So as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to our social media supremos. The whole Dumpty Dum team are a fantastic and supportive bunch.
4: And we must say thank you to Shambridge for her voices and our podcasting parents, Lucy V.
5: Freeman and Roy Phil Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We're off for a high-end celebration afternoon tea at the new Bridge Farm Tea Room. So it's goodbye from me. And it's au revoir from me.
3: Dum-t-dum-t-dum-t-dum,
2: <laughs>
0: <sighs> <laughs> Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn more at ByHeart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50